0: Well, I should say, as I begin here, that this message isn't easy, Uh, so this is probably not going to be the most feel-good message of the year. Uh, We're going to talk about some scary stuff, but I assure you that if you listen closely uh, to John 15, to Jesus, that the goodness and the power and the love of God will show through this text. Uh, so, so you got to hang tough, and you got to listen closely. You got to keep your eyes on the text. The Liberty Institute and Family Research Council recent, uh, recently—I uh, might have been a couple years ago—released a uh, joint report on the growing hatred toward religion in America. Uh, Kelly Shackelford, the founder of the Liberty Institute, said this: quote, "Religious hostility is the red light." ...on the dashboard that tells us we have a problem and that violence will come next if not fixed. And if you're paying attention to America, the red light on the dashboard is blinking. Now here are some real examples of hostility that come out of that joint report. A federal judge threatened incarceration... ...to a high school valedictorian unless she removed references to Jesus from her graduation speech. A public school official physically lifted an elementary school student from his seat... ...and reprimanded him in front of his classmates for praying over his lunch... Following the United States Department of Veterans Affairs policies, a federal government official sought to censor a pastor's prayer, eliminating references to Jesus during a Memorial Day ceremony honoring veterans at a national cemetery. A public university's law school banned a Christian organization because it required its officers to adhere to a statement of faith that the university disagreed with. The United States Department of Justice argued before the Supreme Court that the federal government can tell churches and synagogues which pastors and rabbis it can hire and fire. A federal judge held that prayers before a state house of representatives could be to Allah but not to Jesus. All that's in America. we got to open our eyes. Hatred exists... And religious persecution is on the rise. That was true for the disciples in the first century. That's why Jesus' words to love one another, sacrificially, are so relevant and important. Jesus in John 15 contrasts the love uh, shared among followers of Jesus, shared in the church, and the hatred directed at the church from everyone else. So so as you listen today, um, keep in mind what Jesus has already told the disciples earlier in John 15 and earlier at this moment in the upper room. Jesus was preparing his disciples for something really hard. ...bearing witness to him amidst hostility and persecution. He was preparing them to go out to bear witness to him... ...and there there was going to be hostility, there was going to be anger... ...there was going to be persecution, there was going to be pushback. His words were direct, they were honest and true... but, ...but they were also really, really good... ...because he was preparing his disciples for the next step. He was preparing them for what inevitably was to come. He strengthened their resolve in the mission... So here's where we're going this morning. Just one simple takeaway. Christians don't live to be accepted by the world. They live to affect the world because they have been accepted by God. I want to help you see why it is so foolish for Christians, for us, to try to fit in with the world instead of actively trying to transform the world. So it begins here. The world hates Jesus and the Father. The world hates Jesus and his Father. First understand what Jesus meant by world. The Greek word is kosmos, and it appears six times in those two verses, verses 18 and 19. And then later on, words like it and they and their refer back to the world. Uh, ...on through verse 25. Cosmos or world can mean different things... depending on the context. Cosmos can refer to something that's arranged really well... ...like a woman getting ready for a, a fancy dinner. Uh, she fixes her hair and she puts on beautiful jewelry... ...and a fancy black dress. All of this is her cosmos. It's her adornment. Cosmos can refer to the created universe... ...specifically the, the planet Earth inhabited by humans... It can refer to humanity in general. But in John 15, Jesus used cosmos to refer to people who are alienated from God, people that are hostile to God, to him and to his Father. And what might surprise you about this is that the world includes very religious people, Very religious people. People who claim to love and serve God, but they actually hate God. And I'm getting that from Jesus in these verses. Ask yourself this question. Who persecuted Jesus? Who rejected his teaching? Who saw the signs that he performed and still rejected him? Well, it was primarily devoutly religious and God-fearing Jews. His own people. And verse 25 confirms it. Jesus, in verse 25, actually quotes a psalm, and then he called it their law. He meant the Jews who believed in the Old Testament. That was a quote from the Old Testament. So the world is not exclusively all the irreligious or anti-religious people. No, the world can be very, very religious people. It's anyone who does not truly love and serve Jesus Christ. And Jesus was persecuted by some of the most pious and religious people in the first century. Hatred for Christ can impersonate virtue. It can look good from the outside, but inside it is a deep loathing of Jesus Christ. Now, why does the world hate Jesus? Well, back in John 7, 7, Jesus answered that. He said, the world hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. Jesus exposes the world's sin, and they hate him for it. They despise him. Now, look at uh, verses 23 and 24. It says, whoever hates me hates my father also. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father remember, many who hated Jesus thought that they loved God, thought that they were serving God, but by hating Jesus, they hated God. And the world's hatred doesn't surprise God. It's, it's part of his sovereign plan. It's part of his sovereign purpose. Jesus Uh, shows us that in verse 25, he's probably quoting Psalm 35, 19 or Psalm 69, verse 4. God gave David those words long before Christ, and that was a prophecy about Christ. So when Jesus then came many years later, and he was hated and he was despised, it just proved that God's word way back here was absolutely right, and that that hatred fit in to God's sovereign plan. When you see hostility toward Jesus in our culture and in our society, and if your eyes are open, it's probably not going to take you very long to see that they are hostile against Jesus. That should actually boost your confidence in God's word and God's plan. It's just fulfilling the prophecy that God said it would come. If the world hates Jesus, whom you love the most, why would you ever live to be accepted by the world? Why would that be important to you? If Why would you try to win someone's acceptance to, to fit in, to be a part of that, if they hate the very one that you love the most? You wouldn't. If we are joined to the Lord, the Bible says we are one spirit with Him. That's 1 Corinthians 6. So if they hate Jesus and we are one spirit with Jesus, the world will also hate us. Us, we're the target. The world hates Christians. The world hates Christians. Jesus told the 11 before the world killed Him, If the world hates you, know that it has hated Me Before it hated you. Jesus is the first target. Then everyone else who loves and serves him. So every Christian should expect. Should expect hatred and persecution from the world. The the exception to that rule should be we don't get hated and totally kicked in and kicked down and beat up. And in America, we have experienced a long bit of very unusual history where a lot of Christians have been allowed to coast who don't truly love Jesus. It's never been pressed upon them whether they do. They've never been tested. They've never been hated for his sake. So they think they're all good, but when it comes down to it, where is their heart? So Jesus told his disciples back in John 13, 16... Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. And in verse 20, he used that same truth to explain why his disciples would be persecuted. If he, he, Jesus removed all doubt. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. They will. At the end of verse 19, Jesus told them, the world hates you. Now he's, he's about ready to leave. He's about ready to send these guys out. And he's like, the world hates you. They're not a fan of you. They don't like you. Well, that's tough words. But see, he was preparing them for tough things. Uh, Nick, Walt and Wilma's grandson, is a Marine. Joe Gruber is training in the Army. And when they get there, their drill instructors are not like, it is so nice to see you. <laughs> we're just glad that you're here. We have some refreshments over here for you that if you'd like to enjoy that. A little later, we're going to play a round of golf together. I mean, they're like, fall in line, you're a maggot. You know, and Jesus wasn't necessarily saying you're worthless, but but there's a parallel there. Tough words prepare for tough things. You have to take them through tough things so that they can survive in the future. And so... What Jesus was saying, if you think about it, it was tough. It was straight at them. But it was so good because it was preparing them for what was coming. Now, I'll just be honest with you. I really struggle with this. I don't know if you're with me. This scares me. I don't want to be hated by the world. I don't want to be persecuted. I want people to like me. But you see, some things are worth being hated for. William Wilberforce was a Christian, politician, politician. No, no, I'm good. uh, Who fought to abolish slavery in Britain. And he faced assassination threats because of this. Horatio, uh, Horatio Nelson, an admirable in the British Royal Army, said that as long as he could speak and fight, he would resist the damnable doctrines of Wilberforce and his hypocritical allies. One time, apparently, an angry sea captain beat Wilberforce up in the street. Wilberforce was hated for trying, get this, to preserve human dignity and freedom. He was doing the right thing. In America, 57.5 million children have been massacred through abortion. And because life is precious, Keith and Jennifer Mason started what's called Personhood USA... Uh, apparently to gl- I don't know much about the organization, but apparently to glorify Jesus Christ by f- fighting the abortion giant. At 1:30 a.m, while Keith and Jennifer and their three young children were asleep, a huge rock was catapulted through their, their uh, glass of their uh, front door, and vulgarities were, were spray-painted on their house. And so they actually had to move into a safe house after security warned them that their lives might be in danger. Two years ago, Walter Tutka was allegedly fired from his substitute teaching position in Phillipsburg, New Jersey, after giving an inquiring student a copy of the Bible. If you love Jesus and stand with Him, you're already hated by the world. You have tons of enemies. Do you realize that? Here in America, people don't like you just because you're associated with Christ. Why? Why? The vitriolic hate speech against Christians? Why the lawsuits? Why the rage? Well, Jesus gave us four good reasons. Number one, Christians are no longer of the world. Number two, Jesus chose Christians out of the world. Number three, the world hates the name of Jesus. And number four, the world doesn't know God. These four things are helpful to know for us. They give perspective that's needed for a Christian to live in a very hostile environment. Number one, the world hates and persecutes Christians because Christians are no longer of the world. Jesus said to his disciples, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. You are not of the world. You see, Christians were at one time of the world but Christ saved them into a different kingdom. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Their identity is no longer in the world. Number two, the world hates and persecutes Christians because Jesus chose Christians out of the world. Jesus made a choice to rescue sinners from the world. We call that God's sovereign grace. Christians should be the most humble people on earth. Not private at all, because they had nothing to do with their own salvation. Jesus pursued them and rescued them out of the world. Jesus made the choice. The Greek word here is eklego, which means to pick out something for yourself, to select something. That's what the word means. And you do this when you're shopping. You, know, you, you go through the store and you choose out a shirt or an outfit off of the rack. All right, You leave all the rest. But you choose this. Take it with you. Jesus said, I chose you out of the world. And it wasn't because they were better. It wasn't because they were more beautiful. He told them a few verses earlier, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. Christ chose them. That's sovereign grace, my friends. The world hates sovereign grace. The world doesn't want to hear that. Later in John 17, the eleven heard Jesus pray this, such a profound prayer from Jesus. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. God gave people to Christ, and Christ practically chose them out of the world. He rescued them. Now look at John 15, verse 19 again. Jesus said, therefore, the world hates you. So that therefore is important. What is that therefore pointing to? And that therefore clarifies the two reasons that the world hate the disciples. Number one, they are not of the world. And number two, Jesus chose them out of the world. The world hates Christians because God saved them by grace and they are righteous in Christ. The world hates that grace. The, the world hates the righteousness of Christ. Think about it. If, I, th- I think we all can identify this to a certain extent. If you're living in open sin, the last people you want to hang around with are people living for Christ. People who are righteous. Because just being around people who are living in righteousness, you start to feel guilty. And you start to resent them. Who are you, you goody two-shoes? You don't know, Who are you to wave your, wag your finger? And they're not even wagging anything. They're just like there, living for Jesus. And it offends. Number three. The world hates and persecutes Christians because the world hates the name of Jesus. Look at verse 21. The world does terrible things to Christians because of the name of just the name of Jesus, which is infinitely precious. People interpret God many different ways. It's just kind of a washed-out term, in a sense, in our culture. You can redefine God any way you want, but the name Jesus Christ is so much more precise and controversial. Yes, within the cults that uh, embrace Jesus, some form of him, which is the wrong form of him, there is some debate, but usually Jesus Christ is much more precise Whenever the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Police Department invited Pastor Terry Sartain to pray, he would pray in the name of Jesus Christ. But they told Pastor Sartain he couldn't use Jesus' name anymore. So Pastor Sartain told them to, to withdraw his name from the list, and he doesn't lead invocations for the police department anymore. Major John Diggs oversees the chaplain program. He said the new policy is a, quote, Matter of respecting that people may have different faiths and that it is not aimed at any one religion or denomination. I don't think so. That's aimed right at Jesus Christ. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 10. Matthew 10. I'd like you to see something with your own eyes from God's word. Just to set the context, Jesus called the 12 disciples together. He gave them miraculous power and authority over unclean spirits. He, he told them to go throughout Israel and to preach about God's kingdom and to perform miracles. And, and they were to go to the Gentiles as well, not just to the people of Israel. And so listen to how Jesus trained them, Matthew 10, how he trained them as he is sending them out on this great mission, Verse 16. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father is child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Verse 22. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Wolves usually aren't nice to sheep, right? They're not nice. They snarl and bite and eat. Jesus sent them directly into persecution court trials, severe beatings, tense meetings with important political figures, betrayals and backstabbing, stress, even the threat of death. Why? All for the sake of Jesus' name. He told them flat out, You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Why go? Why go? Playing golf is easier. Sitting in the club is easier. Not saying anything is easier. Why go? Why not just say, I, you know, my mom's calling. i got to get home for dinner. So thanks, Jesus. Appreciate the invitation. Why go? Here's why. The name of Jesus is infinitely glorious. Persecution was worth it just to be a part of what Jesus was doing and to sense His power and to see its effect in the world. He was worth it just being by Him. There was a great reason to go on that brutal and dangerous journey. Jesus. Number four, the world hates and persecutes Christians because the world doesn't know God. Verse 21 but all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. What should we expect? Evil thrives in hearts void of God. Hasn't that proven true? 1 John 4.8 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Not loving is caused by not knowing God. So if you don't know God, you don't love, you hate. That's why we see so much carnage everywhere. People don't know God, and that indicts them. The world is guilty of sin. The world is guilty of sin. The language of verse 22 is a bit tricky. It it literally says this, If I had not come and spoken to them, they they would not have sin. They would not have sin. Jesus didn't mean that the world is morally perfect. Obviously, that's not the case. So I think Jesus was saying that the world would not have been guilty of the sin of rejecting him, the Messiah, and the full revelation of God. If he had never come to spoken, if he had never done the signs, they would not be guilty of rejecting him, God's son, and God's revelation of truth. They heard the words of God through Jesus, therefore they had no excuse for their sin of rejecting Christ. God gave them every reason to believe the world has heard and the world is guilty of rejecting the truth. Verse 24 is similar. Jesus came to them and he performed these incredible miracles that nobody through history was doing right before their eyes and they still rejected him. That's guilt. They, they carry the guilt of rejecting God's son. The world is guilty of rejecting Jesus. They, they carry that guilt with them through life. Guilt is a terrible burden to carry. And so when you look at those from the world, how ah, they're so despondent and they're just kicked down and they're so depressed, no wonder they're carrying the, the burden of rejecting Christ. That's not an easy burden to carry. We're free in Christ. We don't carry it. So we have that joy where they don't. Terrible. But guilt is a prison. James four four says this, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So if you're like, I just want to win the approval of the world. I just want to be a friend of the world. You're actually in that pursuit of acceptance of the world, making yourself an enemy of God. He opposes you if you want to win friendship from the world. And, and enemies... Cause stress. Is that true? When you know you have an enemy, does that throw you off at all? I mean, someone who's like hunting you down? That makes me nervous. Imagine having God as your enemy. Being accepted by the world, being friends with the world is a burden we don't want back. We want to live beneath the divine favor and kindness of God, not his enmity. So why live to win acceptance from the world? That's insanity. So listen to what John wrote in 1 John 2.15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. Why would we envy people who are enslaved? Why would we love what stands directly opposed to God, whom we love? We we don't need the acceptance of the world if God accepts us through Christ. We don't even need it. We have everything that we could need in Christ. God accepts you. This is a very important point to get. God accepts you only because Christ chose and saved you out of the world. You're accepted, dear Christian. The best thing in life and eternity is being accepted by God, not the world. And we are not accepted by God because of what we do for him, but because of what he has done for us. Verse 19 is sovereign grace. Jesus chose us out of the world. Can you see that in the text? He chose us out of the world. That's sovereign grace. That's what he has done. We're not the world anymore. We don't fit in anymore. He came and he saved us out of the world. The world doesn't consider us its own. We don't belong. We're not part of them Because Jesus has made us his own. He has taken us to be his. We're under another king. We're not under the king of this world. We're under him, Christ. So understand this. God accepts you solely because of the merits of Christ. Christ. This is why it is so disheartening to hear Christians talk about themselves when they're talking about the gospel. About what they did. That is so disheartening. And, and you start to think, I wonder if you know Christ. Because you wouldn't be talking about what you have done. You'd be talking about what Christ has done for you. And how he's precious because he accomplished everything you couldn't. That, that's the gospel. You have all the righteousness you need in Christ. By faith, you don't need the acceptance of the world to be happy. You have Christ and God accepts you because of him. The last two verses are going to connect us back to verse 16 where Jesus said, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Folks, in the face of intense hatred and persecution, what pushes us ahead to accomplish God's mission? What gets us moving ahead and not totally shut down because we know people oppose us? And, and in so many other avenues, I mean, football teams. We're coming into football. They're not looking at, you know, like the Steelers don't look at the Ravens, and they're like, I don't think we should go. Ben's like, I don't know if I can complete a pat. Like, I, I think we'll just stay in Pittsburgh. I have a big pool with the seven in the pat. I'm just gonna swim, because that's easier. What pushes them ahead? Let's take these guys. Man, the ravens deserve to go down. Amen? Praise the Lord. So so what pushes us ahead in God's mission? What, What gets us going and not totally shut down when the world is this strong force and beast coming at us? The Holy Spirit will help Christians affect the world with the substantiated truth of Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit. Here it is. Christians don't live to be accepted by the world. They live to affect the world because they've already been accepted by God. And what do I mean by affect the world? Affect with an A, not an E. An A means to impress the mind um, or move the feelings. Or you could say to influence. Our mission is to be a godly influence on the world. The Christian life is not about fitting in with the world. It's about revealing the glory and supremacy of God to the world. We do that by living for Christ. Jesus said this, that Christians are the light of the world. He told us, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So we should want... The world to give glory to God because the glory of God is so infinitely precious to us that we are willingly shining our light in culture, shining the light of Christ. That's our mission. Shine, shine, shine so that people see your good works and they give glory to God. Not to you, to God. 1 Peter 2.9 says to Christians, this is beautiful, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, A holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then Peter continued in verse 12: keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Do you understand that the whole point of this is the glory of God? The glory of God. Christians belong to God. He made us His own so that we could proclaim His excellencies. He brought us from darkness into light so that we can be light in the darkness. He brought us from darkness to light so we can be a light in the darkness. We must live honorable lives so that when the world hates us, and they will and they do, they see in our response compassion and love, and truth, and logic, reasonableness. And in our good works, they glorify God. That's our mission. In case you haven't noticed, our country is in a horrendous place spiritually. We are not the beacon of light for the world. Just because we're America, that does not mean we are God's chosen people. America has significant Problems that it needs to work through. But in seeing that, I don't want you to be discouraged, and I don't want you to be beat down, and I don't want you to be intimidated. The answer is not politics. The answer is not education or resolving poverty or anything else. Christ is the answer. And we stand with him, and we stand with each other. I hope these last two verses of John 15 strengthen and embolden you. This is where the hope comes in if you believe what Jesus is saying. When everyone else looked at the giant and their own weaknesses, David looked at God and his power to bring down the giant. Through all the atrocities of history, at the end, God wins. God wins. And when we look to God instead of looking at our own weaknesses, I can't do this. I can't fight this battle. I can't say this to my friend. They're going to make fun of me. They're they're just going to run me out of town. I might get fired if I say this. They're real threats, my friends. You know, just, just, just own a bakery and say, I'm not going to bake a cake for a homosexual wedding and see what happens. Okay? Stand with Christ and you'll see what happens. But when we look to God, instead of our own weakness and our shortcomings and the answers we don't feel like we have, if we have Christ, we have the answer, and God will empower our mission and we will win. And this is an important part with Him. If we stand with Him, we win with Him. We are victors, we are conquerors. We are more than conquerors. Look at verses 26 and 27. Oh, this is powerful truth. Own this this morning. But when, the Holy, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. The Helper is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Truth, and He will help us affect the world. He is the one who bears witness to Christ in the hearts of many, many people. He changes. People. He is the power. He opens minds. He opens hearts. He gives people the gifts of repentance and faith, as the Bible says. Jesus said that his disciples would also bear witness, but it was the Holy Spirit bearing witness through them. Who is going to stand for Christ? It must be you. As the Holy Spirit works through you to affect the world, you are the light of the world. Didn't Jesus say, I am the light of the world? And he did. But then before he left, he said, you are the light of the world. We're just shining him. The helper empowered their witness. The helper was their boldness. I said the Holy Spirit will help Christians affect the world with the substantiated truth of Jesus Christ. And I use that term, substantiated truth of Jesus Christ, for a reason. Jesus told the eleven this, because you have been with me from the beginning... Now, don't toss that off as just this little statement. That's significant. They were eyewitnesses to Jesus Christ. They experienced him firsthand. What we read in Scripture is based on personal eyewitness testimony. It's corroborated. It's it's historical fact. It's conclusive evidence. It's verifiable history. It's commentary from people who went through it. So we not only have a message that's verified logically and historically corroborated by eyewitness testimony, but we also have the power of the Holy Spirit and the sovereign grace of God in that message giving power to our witness. This is phenomenal. The gospel is good news. It's news to be spread, to be spoken It's something that actually happened. The claims of Christianity are far from irrational fairy tales. They are corroborated fact. Christianity is not wishful thinking. It's not a crutch to get us through uh, this hard life. It is documented truth. But an angry and hostile world will never believe it until the Holy Spirit of truth and power affects them. And the world will not be affected unless we as Christians proclaim the power of the gospel. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring what? Good news. Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek We must release the power of the gospel through the Holy Spirit through our mouths as we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and as we receive the hatred of the world and as we receive the persecution of the world. Don't focus on everything that you don't know. Don't focus on the degrees you don't have. Don't focus on the words that you can't say. Focus on the power of the Holy Spirit, the truth bearing witness to Christ through you. See... We won't bear witness to Christ if we live to be accepted by the world. And I wonder how many of you are just, you you just want to be accepted so badly that you just don't say anything. Ever. Like you've never said anything about your faith, about Christ, about anything. And if you don't love Christ enough to be hated and persecuted by the world for His name's sake, then you'll never say anything. You'll never do anything that's, that's right. You'll, you'll never be loving. You'll never have the power of that Holy Spirit working through you. And you'll never affect the world for Christ, for the joy of other people. You won't get the joy of participating with God in changing people's lives. You'll miss out on experiencing great power and beauty and joy as the Holy Spirit opens people's hearts up to the truth. You'll you'll miss seeing God transform angry and hate-filled and spiteful hearts into loving and gracious and tender hearts. We don't want to live to be accepted by the world. We want to affect the world because we've already been accepted by God. Paul was the greatest missionary of history. Do you know what he said? So if you've ever felt like totally weirded out about talking about Jesus because you're like, I just don't have the words. The, arguably the second greatest to Christ himself, the second greatest uh, missionary and uh, apologist and theologian was the Apostle Paul. And this is what he said. And my speech... And my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Was he trusting in himself, his ability to get his words right? If you're a Christian, you have that power, you have that Spirit. You have the power because you have the Spirit of truth in you, so don't focus on what you don't have, focus on what you do have. Don't, don't, don't discourage yourself before you're outside of the gate by looking at yourself. That's what faith does. It looks at Christ and it doesn't take uh, eyes off of him. And he leads us onto the battlefield so we can move and accomplish something and affect the world. Paul said to the Thessalonian Christians, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, we can't just talk. We need the Holy Spirit of power. We need full conviction of what it is we're saying. So maybe the breakdown is in, do we really believe what we should be saying? Because if we're not saying it, maybe there's something deficient in us that we don't really believe. Maybe we don't trust Christ. So we need to bear witness that has impact. And so, folks... I don't know if you feel this, but I do. It's becoming harder and harder to be a Christian in America. Things aren't getting better. And unless God brings a complete revival and great awakening in our country, the next 10 years are going to be very interesting. Hatred is on the rise. Persecution is on the rise. But Christ is the victor. Christ is the victor. We're on the winning team. It just hasn't played out yet. We're in the fourth quarter. We will win. It's, it's a landslide. Christ has blown everybody out of the water, but they're still fighting, and we've got to finish the game. Christ is the victor. Jesus gave us every reason to be loving and bold, to go with grace and winsomeness and boldness and truth, and to balance those things in the face of hatred and persecution when people are completely irrational and spit just stuff at us just for no reason, just for Christ's reasons. And we're like, whoa, man, love back and tell the truth. This is what Jesus said. Fear not, little flock. You feel like a little flock? I do. I need the tender shepherd. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You have the kingdom. Stand with Christ. Speak openly of Christ. Be hated for Christ. Be persecuted for Christ. The kingdom is yours. You don't need the world. Christians don't live to be accepted by the world. They live to affect the world because they have been accepted by God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for communicating to us fantastic things through Jesus, your son. Uh, Thank you that we have every reason to rejoice, even though this is a grim picture of the world. We don't need to despair, though, because we are part of another kingdom with another king who is a sovereign king and who is the victor king. We have everything with him. And yet that king is so soft and loving to provide us with everything we ever needed in himself. So I pray that as we end this service, God, we have a true spirit of worship that we wouldn't have heard in this message. Oh man, things are so bad. This just freaks me out. I don't know what I'm going to do. We know what to do. Trust Christ. Love him. Walk in the love that he has for us. Obey him. And live to affect the world. So God, would you help us do this? Would you help us be optimistic because of the gospel? In Jesus' name we pray.